Hi, I'm Kane, and I've always been a storyteller. Whether it be through my passion as a singer-songwriter or working as a journalist, I've always been drawn to crazy stories and telling them to my friends. But there are some stories that haven't been told quite enough. So grab a seat, a drink, and hunker down as we delve into the realms of those forgotten stories. Welcome to Breaking Bard. Stories untold, tales that we've spun Quite a few missing, where have they gone? Come fill your mind with ghosts of the past Now that we're breaking bad 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 Hello and welcome back to Breaking Bard. I am very pleased to be back. It's been quite a while, actually. Not like it will make any sense to the listeners, but we've had a bit of a break between episode one and episode two. Um, But we're very happy to be back. And today we have got an old yet familiar face with us. It's Maeve Sally. Hey, Maeve, how are you? Hi, Kane. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Of course. How does it feel to be back on Breaking Bard? Really exciting. Um, I heard that there was so much choice for, you know, the next episode and um, <laughs> feeling super privileged to be the one who got picked up <laughs> spot, you know. Obviously, as you all know, Maeve and I live together, so um, all of this is... a. Uh, um, logistical logistical but um yeah we're very happy to be back and today i have uh, quite a nice story for you um which i actually found on uh, facebook as i was scrolling along um because yeah the idea for stories come from documentaries or or articles or friends now that are sharing things with me like um you have before But this one, I was just scrolling down Facebook and I came across a picture um, and I will show you the picture now. Don't read the writing, just focus on the picture. So I'm seeing a beautiful woman uh, with uh, plants, pigtails, I'm not sure what the term is. Braids. Braids, yeah. I'm seeing a beautiful woman with long, dark braids um, I'm wearing a really nice jacket and a crop top uh, <laughs> crop standing top in the mountains. Sound quite modern, but this picture was actually taken in the 1950s. <laughs> but the printer is black and white. We've just got a new printer, everyone, and it's black and white. Yeah. Um, I mean, she looks beautiful. I don't really know what more to say about it. No, no, of course. But so basically, yeah, the caption underneath read, uh, Ima Sumac, a descendant of Atahualpa, the last Incan emperor. And the picture was taken in the 1950s. Wow. So I was like, huh? Is this an Incan princess that I have on my um, <laughs> on my feed? Um, so obviously it really intrigued me. So I gave her a Google and uh, fell upon this story of an extremely talented yet somewhat controversial soprano singer whose wow. career would span over years and inspire countless artists. But yet I had never heard of at no. all. What's never her heard name? that name. Ima Thumak. I've never heard that name before. Well, you may not have uh, heard the n- name, but let me play you something. Hey, podcasterinos. 
Kane here from the editing room. Unfortunately, due to copyright reasons, I've not been able to share any of the music that I've shown on this episode. But as it's so important to this episode and its story, I invite you all to go right now, press pause, and go and check this episode's description box. There I'll have put all the links to the songs that you need to hear to really experience this episode. Thank you again, and so sorry for this inconvenience. So we've just finished listening to uh, Choncho by Ime Sumak. Um, I invite all of our listeners to go have a look at it on YouTube. Maeve, what did you think? Well, I'm speechless. <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, the end was really impressive, especially with the highs. She got so high. She, she goes so high. high and she goes so low. And so low. And that like, wow. And so many different noises that someone can make with their voice it's so impressive and also she's like going around the music video like shows basically she's in like this set hollywood set probably of like a a huge kind of amazonian forest and there's like um parrots and like vines and stuff everywhere and she's like going around singing and you can never tell what what instruments her voice or not like it's she sounds yeah, like a flute yeah. a parrot like yeah yeah yeah, yeah oh. sometimes and it's even weirder because you're looking at the video not weirder but it's some sounds she's making it doesn't sound like it should be her making them and then you look at the video and you see her mouth open and clearly she's making sound and it's uh what a talent. I know. So apparently she uh, could sing four plus octaves. Wow. Which is huge. That's I can huge. just about hit four. Um, but that's from my like lowest note to my highest note. But she can hit, apparently she can hit five octaves. So some say, including herself, she can hit five octaves. Um, so, which is mental. Um, I'm going to show you another video. And so that one as well, which uh, was lip synced by Jinx Monsoon, which is an amazing song. And I remember hearing that and thinking that that can't be one person's voice, right? Yeah, it's a really, yeah, yeah, that was the first time. And I actually didn't know that that was the same song as the other song you showed me, mm-hmm. um, which I know from that funny meme, you know, there's a meme about it. It's honestly, I think one of my favorite videos. <laughs> um, it's a guy like filming himself and making funny faces to that song. Um, and it's just really funny. It's like, it. oh, oh, oh. And oh, yeah, no, like, no, no, of course, and I know it's the really one. funny. Da, 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 da. And he like sticks his tongue out, and he does like pops, like bulges his eyeballs and stuff. It's oh gosh, <laughs> no, no, no. It sounds more disgusting than it is. It's just really funny. Well, that's what's so funny is that like no, I we know those songs through things, but mm. I never knew it was Ima Sumac, a no. Peruvian Incan princess, like. <laughs> So I was like, okay, this woman, I need to do a breaking bard on her story. And so as uh, as usual, I'd like to thank um, the sources I used to tell this story, which includes um, an interview with Nicholas uh, Limansky, who is the author of Ima Sumak, The Art Behind the Legend, which is a biography on Sumak, the amazingly uh, detailed NPR podcast episode about her too called The Breakdown, The Spell of Ima Sumak from the USA Latino um, Department, and some various articles on her, obviously, and her Wikipedia page. But um, (laughs) so I was like, okay, so who is Ima Sumak? So let's dive into her story. So Zoila Augusta Emperatriz Chavari del Castillo was born on September the 10th, 1923, in Ichocan, near Cajamarca, in Peru. 
Wow. So, so yeah, I had to practice that a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> what a name. I mean, great name. Sound, I mean, Imperatriz Shavari. And apparently it's through the Shavari line that she claims her Incan descent. But we'll get to that later. So she was born in 1923. So just after the turn of the 20th century. And she grew up in Lima and was the baby of six children. So, Excuse me? Yeah, six children. She was the, the baby. baby of six children. The baby, sorry. <laughs> she was the last <laughs> six children i don't know why i wrote it like this honestly when i read back what i've written i'm like who is this person <laughs> but yeah no she was the um the last child the uh, okay one of six one of six the last of six um but growing up she always loved to sing but had no lessons so she was self-taught all of what you just heard wow yeah that's where you're like okay um okay. But when she told her mother she wanted to be a singer, her mother was disappointed and told her that she couldn't be. So uh, Zoila kept singing and decided to change her name in order to continue her passion without being dissuaded by her parents. And her stage name, Ima Sumak, was based on her mother's name, which was derived from Ima Sumak, which is Quechua for how beautiful exclamation point oh. but in a french tv documentary in 1993 um ima sumak um can be heard saying her name meant beautiful flower or beautiful girl and said quote i was born in peru 2000 years ago but i still young oh. <laughs> but honestly when you see the interviews she's so char- she's got such a character yeah um in the Maybe interview she's reincarnated well you know i think well, with that voice, I mean, by many, many different kind of wow. things. Um, in the interview, she explains that only her sister knew that she sang and that one day her family was listening to the radio when a recording of her came out and her sister said to her mother, Mother, do you know who this is? Uh, to which her mum said, No, but she sings beautifully. Oh, no. So, but then she started making it. Um, she, in 1942, she joins a folkloric group and marries the director of the group, Moises Vivanco, the same year, which is always a bit like... Yeah, yeah. But Don't always stick yeah. your fingers where you <laughs> kick your pies. <laughs> exactly the variation of that expression, yeah. Exactly that one. I couldn't have done better. Um, no, but yeah, in the next four years, she would perform mainly Peruvian folklore music all across South America. Um, she then plays in Mexico and Argentina, which were considered the meccas of the entertainment industry mm. in South America. Yeah. Um, so then having reached the top at home, she and her f- husband formed the Incataki Trio and moved to New York in 1946. Oh. So imagine New York, 1946. 46, yeah. They're from Peru. They're like, let's do this. War's just finished. Exactly. And this is quite important. So... At the time, North America was also seeing a big boom in folk music. Um, so the Inkataki trio thought, oh, that will be fine. <laughs> but the world wasn't quite ready and they didn't make a, an impact at all until the 1950s brought in a new style of music, Exotica. Oh, yes. So this is where I really like the story because it becomes more than um, a woman, a singer's life. Um, I discovered this genre which... Um, is quite problematic, actually. Um, so what is exotica? 
It was named after Martin Denny, who is a jazz pianist who pioneered the genre with an album of the same name, basically, called Exotica. Um, and basically, it was music popular between the 50s to mid-60s with the Americans who had come of age during World War II. So exactly what you were saying, Maeve. Okay. So people who had just grown up with, you know, the war and stuff. And at the same time, um, this genre, so sonically, it tries to tell stories through a non-native experience of foreign landscapes you know and mythical shangri-las from the oceanic islands to the caribbean tribal africa the andes the amazon basin and southeast asia and so martin denny uh, described the musical style himself as quote a combination of the south pacific and the orient what a lot of people imagine the islands to be like it's pure fantasy though so Ooh. it's basically cultural appropriation in a genre. And so yeah. creating, you know, what then led to our kind of uh, Western views of these like foreign places, you know, the magical yeah. Andes and, and all of this. And they try it and it was basically through sound. Um, but at the time, many say that it was born from this desire for travel and escapism mm. after World War Two. So the music allowed people stuck at home to kind of like travel around the world. Imagine and something different. I exactly. Guess. And this was just as the aircraft and tourism industry started to boom and people could fly places. So, um, but as a genre, it's since been criticised and uh, as being culturally insensitive and just incorrect, really, of these places. Well, yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. And it's true that it probably sinks into everyone's mind, you know, yeah. the, the musical. I think it's a really interesting kind of... It's I've heard that, that um, genre or it being thrown around, but never really known what it was, I guess. So that's really interesting to hear the roots of it. And yeah. Definitely. So Peru was one of those countries that was becoming more and more appealing to tourists with the discovery of Machu Picchu in 1911 and then the first hotels being uh, made in the 40s. So an enchanting singer like Ima Sumac was rather well received in that vibe. Was it in the 40s? That the first hotels, yeah, started to wow. kind of, I know, Machu Picchu. Just for you listeners, Maeve and I actually uh, travelled around Peru uh, with uh, her boyfriend Quentin, um, our other flatmate, and uh, and we climbed Machu Picchu, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Uh, All 2,646 steps. All 2,600. And back down. <laughs> <laughs> Quentin did his knee in. I know. How many kilometers? Didn't we walk like 25 kilometers in 24 hours? Something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, because we walked up and down that mountain and then we walked down. Because people don't realize Machu Picchu is a mountain, but then it's on a mountain. So you go up to the ground level of Machu Picchu and then you can climb one of the mountains next to it so you can see Machu Picchu from below. But it brings you up to past 3,000 meters high. Yeah, it's high. really high up. You could see And then so you've much. got to dry, uh, walk down and then a lot of people would take the bus down from Machu Picchu back down to the village. But what did we do, Maeve? We decided to walk down. Um, yep. So we did that. And that was more stairs. Um and then we had to walk I 12 think, 10 kilometers. or 12 kilometers uh, along the railway tracks to get a bus um, <laughs> to go back to where we were staying. Which the bus was like three hours. I mean, basically the whole... We didn't but, make it easier for ourselves, I don't think. And it wasn't until we were on top of the mountain, actually, that I realized that we then had to walk another 10k um, 
but yeah, it kind of just hit me there and then. But we but did it, we survived. We did it. And also look at us t- talking about how annoying the logistics with, was. I mean, it was amazing. Like Machu Picchu is so beautiful. It's like, incredible. Let's tell our listeners that. Um, we got <laughs> so lucky with the uh, clouds. It was super clear, wasn't oh. it, when we arrived? And then we saw the clouds come over and cover everything. Um, and I mean, in Machu Picchu itself needs its whole of a episode because yeah. like i mean there is a sense of mystery there i mean it wasn't discovered until 1911 and mm. it, you know been hidden away from the spanish for 500 years and like i don't know it when you when you're up there and the sun comes up because we were up there by just before six in the morning um it's just absolutely stunning isn't it yeah. so good and peru is a country mm, love it so much but back to Ima Sumac. Um, so in 1950, she signs with Capitol Records, who at the time had Frank okay. Sinatra, right. Peggy Lee, and uh, Nat King Cole amongst their biggest artists. So not bad. Not bad for yourself, gal. Not bad. Is this with her trio or has she dumped them? They wanted her, but were not particularly <gasps> fussed with her husband or cousin. Because oh, it was her husband scandalo, and her cousin. Scandalo, no. Scandalo. So they were like, we want Ema. Also, um, originally her name was written I-M-M-A. But they changed it to Ema with a Y because it was more exotic. Oh. So. Thanks. You see the vibe here. Mm? Sure. So uh, fun fact, uh, Frank Sinatra opened for Ema Sumac in Japan. So this is what I mean. Why have we not heard of her? You know, she was up with Frank Sinatra. You know, that's why I was like, how interesting. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, his career went up and down a bit, didn't it? But that's, famously. That's a whole other... <laughs> whole other episode. <laughs> Just going to do everything that ever existed. <laughs> so her first record, The Voice of the Exeter Bay, was released in September 1950. Ema sold over 100,000 copies, which was huge for the time, because promotion and the internet didn't exist. Like, basically. Gosh, shifting all of those. 100,000 copies. The album was number one on Varieties and has never been out of print at all since. In over 70 years. It's never been out of print. People have kept buying it. Wow. So that's really rare. That's incredible. So again, it's like this person... It's like legends right there, you know. Exactly. It's when you look 30, 40 years later and people are still buying those records. It's like, hmm. Her voice mixed popular music, an exotic musical universe, and classical, almost operatic singing. But again, she was never trained as an opera that singer. Is, yeah, but it is quite operatic. I mean, the the vibrato, the trills. It's, um, the, exactly. Right, it's <laughs> but so in a way, she was free of that classical rigor. Of the training, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like chefs, sometimes if they've gone through classical training, it's good, but then got to think outside the box exactly know? and a lot of people i've seen since have said like oh you know she had she could have been a great opera singer or she could have been like a great pop singer or lounge singer but like she was this weird mix of both yeah she did what she pleased exactly Break boundaries i say definitely so um her diverse voice and questionable exotic instrumentation would transport people and she gained a huge global following. Like, basically, it was like as if it was Beyonce at the time. Like, <laughs> the sales, if you compare. A review of the album from Brazil says, quote, The problems of our modern world are forgotten through the magnetism of this fabulous gift, which comes to us, directly descended from Atahualpa, 
the last of the Inca kings. So the whole world was being seduced and enchanted by her talent and music. But can you guess who wasn't? No. Her own country, Peru, was not having any of it. Yeah. She went a bit too far with the exoticism. So... Though many were quick to believe her ancestry claims, there were also those who doubted that she really was a direct descendant from one of the last Incan kings. People tend to say that it was a US marketing ploy, but she actually was claiming to be of Incan royalty way before she ever set foot in America. Oh, okay. So the government of Peru in 1946 formally supported her claim to be descended from Atahualpa, the last Incan emperor. Really? Yeah. Mm. However, her biographer, Nicholas E. Lemansky, claims that her Incan royal origin was not true. So we will never know, basically. Oh. So, yeah. So we don't know what's true. Um, I'd like to believe that she is. <laughs> um, I mean, I think You're everyone's a princess in their own right. Yeah. Especially with a middle name like Emperatriz, you know. So that was like a middle name? I thought that was like a title that she no. put on herself, like Empress. Zoila Augusta Emperatriz Chavari del Castillo. Wow. Which basically means Zoila Augusta, the Emperor, Empress, Empress Chavari of Castille. Yeah, yeah. So why were Peru so upset? Well, in 1954, she gets a big Hollywood break in a film called The Secret of the Incas. Oh. With Charlton Heston, who I googled is a chiseled god of a man who was basically <laughs> in every film uh, ever at that time in the Hollywood. <laughs> I've heard the name, but... Yeah, Charlton Heston. And so in it, Ema plays an Incan high priestess whose power is using her voice to kind of manipulate and like kind of save the Peruvian people. Okay. Um, are you on your phone during Breaking Bad? I'm Googling who Charlton Heston is. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Is that rude? It was to get no, no, into no. the context. Oh, I have seen him. You have? Give me a look. Please. Sorry. I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that third one. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, exactly. The actor of Ben-Hur, everyone. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Ben-Hur. So big Hollywood break for a Peruvian non-white woman at the time was very big, actually. Yeah. Um, so now in one scene, she's standing on the edge of this cliff and she's singing to all these Incas in Cusco who are just swaying to and fro, watching her sing like zombies. And the real people of Cusco were furious at the cultural whitewashing of their history and identity. Oh well, yeah. And angry that... I bet that it was full of inaccuracies. And like... Exactly. And angry that Ima Sumac would play into that and yeah. let them kind of be portrayed as such. Yeah, for sure. So Sell out, I guess, for them. Well, that's what they thought. During her tours, Ema would be greeted by protests and even had tomatoes thrown at her. Wow. Yeah. So it turned back. So she was touring around the world and for all these people, she was this glamorous, exotic, you know, singer. And for the people at home, they they were were like, like, you're not authentic, girl. You're not being your true self. Exactly. And especially, you know, she had a background of folkloric music and stuff. And now she's doing the kind of vibe. So, the stereotypes of the film were very damaging to her own people, and local newspapers would comment on how she was essentially making money from portraying a Peru and Cusco that didn't exist for her own profit and fame. Mm. An article from El Comercio in 1959 claims that during a tour in Arequipa, 
Arequipa, Arequipa, Arequipa. So we went to Arequipa as well in Peru. And when you get the bus there, there's just people shouting for the destinations of the bus. And there was Arequipa, Arequipa, Arequipa. And there was also... Um, puno, 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 puno. That was great. Each one has its own rhythm, which yeah. is really nice. So you can clock it, recognize it. Exactly. It's so cool. Um, but so during a tour in Arequipa, people whistled and hooted at her because with her statements, the quote, renegade Peruvian had often made her countrymen look savage and primitive. Oh. She may be admired by her art for her art, but her unworthy attitude as a Peruvian can never be forgiven. Oh, wow. And that was an article in El Comercio, which is a big newspaper in Peru in 59. So she you know was kind of yeah like not popular serious. not popular popular everywhere but home another thing that she was critiqued for is that a year after the movie came out she became a u.s citizen and people saw that as her selling out her folkloric influences for the exotica genre so in the episode with NPR, um, they spoke uh, with Soila uh, Mendoza, who's a Peruvian anthropologist who wrote about Sumac. Okay. And she said that she was caught between her original art and the fans who knew her from her folkloric background and what she was expected to be in this different cultural context, which was the US. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine that if she got like signed with Capitol Records and things, a lot of choices would probably not have been hers, but... You know, she did it for the sake of, yeah, getting well-known and for getting money in. And I mean, you see that happen a lot with just fame in general, I guess. Um, And then you put that into the context as well of coming from a different background and a different culture. And it's, you know, going through some whitewashing for the purpose of it being entertaining to... You know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a real pity. Well, it still um, exists, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's just sure. crazy to see it happening back at that time as well, well of course. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I guess Famously it's, it's not really surprising. but um, No. But, inter- yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of not surprising now that you'd say, you know, I fully, I can believe that it might not have been her first choice, if that makes sense. But, yeah. you know, you... Got to do what you got to do to make money. Yeah. So her biggest critic, uh, José María Arguedas, a Peruvian novelist who wrote a book called Nuestra Música Popular y Sus Interpretes, had this to say about Ima, quote, How can a woman who can't even speak a word of Quechua, who grew up in Lima, far from the mountains, sing traditional songs of the Andes? She's deformed the Andean music, making its most noble intents a pleasing show for the common people. Wow. <clears throat> I mean... Yeah, I guess it's interesting because Lima is pretty different, generally speaking, to the the mountains of Peru, and which still holds the I think the strongest kind of native identity. I guess. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So yeah. very tough words from his. Yeah, interesting. Well, and it's yeah. I guess they understand the context as one of. Yeah, but we'll get to that actually. So. On top of all of this, Ima was a bit of a diva. Um, she was known to say that the only reason people knew Peru was because of her. Wow. Okay. And she walked off of a TV show in Peru in the 70s after getting into an argument with the host. So, yeah, there's, there was not a lot, of, a lot of love lost there. An interesting part of all of this is that she hardly ever return, returned to Peru. 
um, and she never spoke about the whole culture identity debate. All of these these critiques, everything, she never answered to it. Wow. She never once in an interview. She never. She went off to her own thing, got famous in it for herself. Yeah, and then the people who were like, "Hey, you're like, you know, disrespecting us and stuff." She never answered them. She never brought up the debate. So quite interesting. But it seems she had personal issues that were keeping her busy. So the same year the movie came out in 1954, she couldn't get back into the U.S. after touring because of a huge IRS claim that she would take 30 years to pay off. No. So her new home was kind of proving to be quite difficult for her too. And then one year later in 1955, her personal secretary, her personal secretary, um, <laughs> secretary, I can never know, I never had that. Secretary. It is a hard one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You can go two ways about it. Yeah. Her personal secretary, um, filed, no, that sounds wrong. Yeah, it sounds wrong now. Secretary. Her personal secretary filed a paternity claim for her two twins to her husband, Moise. Oh, no. So Ema found out. Yeah. She took camera crews and confronted the secretary. (laughs) Holy shit. It's like real housewives of, where was she? Beverly Hills. (laughs) Yeah, no. And that was in 55 in New York. That was the beginning of reality TV. Exactly. You've been with my husband? (laughs) Um, Ema, no. So the thing is, Moise took care of everything. Once he was made, you know, back in the back shadow by (laughs) Capitol Records when they were like, we don't want the husband or we don't want the cousin. Um, So he took care of everything. He produced, managed and did all of her financials. So then she was like, "Uh uh-oh. So she wasn't really aware of her financials and then she wasn't with him anymore, so... She became solitary and would be known to stop concerts in the middle if she didn't like the mixing or oh, things no. like that. Terrible. So there You've was got to be professional about these things, really. You can't let the fame go to your head. Well, so this is where I think it goes interesting because the story is judging in her in one way. And then what I really loved about the NPR episode is that they put this question now... Um, on the look of how women have always been treated. Mm. So there was this growing image of a solitary diva who was proud and temperamental, not unlike other divas like Maria Callas, one of my favourite um, opera singers, whose life was also was just as dramatic. And And the NPR episode puts this interesting point that a lot of artists like her were judged way too harshly at the time, still mm. are, because of the simple fact that they were women. I mean, it's true, even now you look at the smear campaigns that there are against women, and it's like, you know, actors or people that, um, the like, the tabloids make you obsessed with by talking about them all the time, all the time, exactly. all the time, until you get bored of them, and then they rip them to shreds and, yep. like, chuck them down, and it's just, it's all manipulation tactics just to drag women who are doing great jobs and who are really talented, um... And drag them down. Drag them through the mud, yeah. So let's go back to the whole, those critiques Because before. they're different and they have a different voice or want to, you know, express themselves in a different way from the mainstream. Exactly. That's so, so true. But also, I mean, when you think about it, so all, nearly all the people who criticised her were men. Hmm. And that guy who said she couldn't speak any Quechua actually finished that quote by saying, but thankfully her husband, Moise, is there to save the day as he is basically a true Peruvian and grew up where this other person 
like deemed a true Peruvian must have lived. Right. So, so today there's still quite a lot of violence towards women in Peru. And I was looking into this and I found a study um, made in July 2018 by Jorge M. Aguero called The Prevalence of Violence Against Women Among Different Ethnic Groups in Peru. Mm. And I read uh, some of the study and uh, to paraphrase it uh, the interesting kind of point is that there's this intersectionality between violence against Peruvian women and the languages that they speak and what percentages they speak them at so for example a woman who grew up speaking an indigenous uh, language like Quechua but now speaks Spanish more would have a higher chance of being assaulted really yeah so there is definitely this um there's this prevalence of society of kind of the ethnicity and and the language as well which i find quite interesting um so then the 60s gives birth to rock and roll and the first man on the moon um and though people were slowly beginning to forget Ema. It's been over this is the second decade of her seven decades. Um she wouldn't give in. She continued to tour and even had a comeback album, which was a rock album called Miracles in nineteen seventy two. So like Miracles. can you imagine that voice in a rock album? Yeah, that would be pretty intense. Stadium rock. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But so um, she performed her last concert in 1997 in Montreal um, and she became this LGBTQ icon and her music was uh, even played in uh, Mad Men or The Big Lebowski and Black Eyed Peas and Robin Thicke sampled her too. Oh, really? Yeah. What songs are on Black Eyed Peas? Um, let's, oh, uh, let's have a look. Uh, it's Hands Up. Oh, so she kind of found this new um this new whole generation in the 70s and 80s um and there was this anecdote in the npr episode where basically Ema was at a public function and she was hungry and tired and she sees um this room with loads of uh, youths and she was like let's go over there so i can have some peace and quiet because no one will uh, recognize mm-hmm. me but of course, when she got there, all the young people, having heard her through different variations of samples or, you know, throughout the decades and, and this rock album, um, recognized her and were all like, oh, my God, it's Ema Sumac. <laughs> okay. So, you know, she had like this. Cher. She's Yeah, she's like Cher. Exactly. So, but, you know, despite this long and active career, she still had unfinished business with her home, Peru. Um. So in 2000, so it's been like 50 years since she's moved away from Peru. Um, there'd been that uh, yeah. TV, you know, show where she left at, in anger in the 70s. And there was all these critiques going through um, quite a lot by men attacking her and she never responded to it. So there's just been this cold front of silence between the two. The two. And so in the 2000s, a radio host, and I'm guessing a fan, called Miguel Molineri, used his platform to make the case that she should feel safe to come back to Peru and finally receive her musical recognition while she was still alive. Uh-huh. Because at this point, she's, you know, over yeah, she's 80. Like... She was born in 23. So, you know, quick maths. Well, yeah. 
Well, what are we, early 2000s? It was 2000, yeah. So 2000s. 80s, yeah. Wow. So she was over 80, and so they were like, basically, the whole time, this whole time she hadn't been recognised for her talent. Mm. Um, and so thanks to the radio host and with time going by, the country had mostly had a change of heart. And mm-hmm. enough time had passed that she wasn't being recognised for her talent. And also people realised that she was a product of her time. Because, you know, you know, she did, yeah, she presented this inauthentic image of Peru. But that interesting point about, you know, being a non-white woman in the yeah, 50s yeah. in Hollywood, yeah, it just yeah. didn't happen at the time. It did not happen. No, and and I guess that's at least a small part of representation, I guess. Um. And we never know you know which manager or mm. whoever th- said yeah we'll do something about ink and you know at the end of the day it all does come down to one well, person she wouldn't have written the film exactly yeah, let's put it that way so it is this whole thing about with art if you are the front woman or the front person then you get all the blame basically because but it's mm. always there's always a team behind you so there's a quote in Peru that says that no one is a prophet in their own land. Oh. Um, and so that means that a lot of the time people have to leave their home to become great or yeah. be seen as great. And, you know, a lot of people do yeah. that. They leave the, the nest and they go to the big cities. Big you fish know. in a small pond, you know. Exactly. So Ema finally returns home in 2006 okay. um, and is awarded the Orden del Sol Award, which is the highest um, award given in Peru Aww. by President Alejandro Toledo. What so, beautiful name for an award. I know, the Orden del Sol, which means the Order of the Sun. Order of the Sun. So she comes back um, and as she walks into the government building to receive the award, of course, they played El Condor Pasa, which is the uh-huh. biggest tune in the world. <gasps> You can't go to Peru and not hear El Condor Pasa. Um, an anthropologist, um, Soila Mendoza, said that in Peru, especially Andean people, as they approach death, uh, they have to look back to what they've done in life, which is like the opposite of a bucket list. But look back oh. at what you've done to recognise what came before, to see what is ahead of you. Um, and one thing that really was quite touching, I found, is that in interviews all across her like after that and before she died um she promises that she had never forgotten peru it always be been in her heart been in her heart bless her so yeah and then in 2008 after a nine month long battle with uh cancer um she passed away in 2008 and so that's the story of the queen of exotica ima sumac the incan princess Wow. Thanks for telling me that story came. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I thought, um, I don't know, I just, uh, I really, she really intrigued me. And um, it's the fact that she was so big. And again, this thing of like us being in the Western world, you know, we've actually heard her getting through, but there's so much to her uh, music and, and stuff that we haven't heard because that's kind of not what reaches us. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, definitely. And it's really interesting what you were saying. I mean, it's extra interesting because it touches on a lot of different topics as well and kind of the, the progression of just, you know, like music and pop and even film or whatever in the States as well and kind of intertwines with that and, you know, question around appropriation and definitely and you know there's always that debate today about cultural appropriation Mm. um 
with music because music is such a universal thing too. Yeah. And this, you know, cultural appreciation versus appropriation. And I think it was, I just think it's very brave for the people of Cusco after that film to, you know, be like, no, we're not having this. Like, this is not Peru. And even though the hate was directed at Ima, I just would like to hear that, to hope that Hollywood kind of heard it too, you know? Yeah. Because she was basically ostracized because of that. But as we said, you know, how much, how much of a responsibility does she really have? Yeah. Compared to all the other white people that are in it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so um, I'll leave you with some uh, last music with her podcast listeners and uh, if you like this episode please uh, subscribe and uh, and follow and uh, watch out for the next one thank you very much thank you bye <laughs> bye <laughs> now that we're breaking bars